All right, the text for this morning is from Revelation 15. Um, the text is uh, going to serve partially as basis for the message today. We're also going to, if you have a Bible with you uh, or just on your phone, if you want to jump to Psalm 49, we're going to be using a lot of Psalm 49 today as well, um, just to have that in front of you in advance. Where we are in all of this, remember the, the three sevenfold visions. We're about to start the third and final sevenfold vision. This is like an introduction to the that, so we're not going to actually get to the vision today, but you'll, you'll get the introduction to it, and even in the introduction it says this is the last, the, the, the God's wrath finished will be in these, um, the next sevenfold vision coming up, um, and we get this really cool image of a great and amazing sign in heaven. There's been two other great signs in heaven. The first one was the woman, the second one was the dragon, who is the beast, who is of course Satan, the woman being uh, Mary the mother of Jesus, but also representing the church. Um, that was back in, in chapters 11 and 12. So now where we're going is this, this final thing that is, that is part of the vision. Then it gets really fun and interesting after that. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to wrap up this year, but let's read from Revelation chapter 15. This is verses 1 through 8. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. When I saw what appeared to be a glass mingled with fire, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowl, bowls filled of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until... The seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, um, we are today kind of a week late, if you're looking at it, in terms of the, the rest of the Christian world. We are celebrating um, a bit of a, a sanctity of life Sunday. Um, it's where we bring up this topic, this about time every year, because well, this is the, the time in which um, Roe v. Wade was, was first instituted, and then, of course, um, earlier uh, this year, that was overturned. I had some words about that back in the summer when that first happened. If, if you missed that, I'm sure you can Google it and find it somewhere, um, but it's, it's out there in the, in the ether somewhere. But sanctity of life, preaching on that, um, it's a loaded topic, what do I mean by a loaded topic? That's a lot like loaded nachos. 
When you order nachos in, in a restaurant or a pub, you go, ah, let's get some nachos, and then they have loaded nachos. You go, okay, let's try the loaded nachos. Regular nachos come out. It's easy sort of to grab this piece over here that, that doesn't have olives on it because olives are gross, right? So you grab that piece over here and get this bit over here. Loaded nachos, you look at it and you go, I don't hardly even know where to start, <laughs> right? There's, there's everything is on everything, and which do I, how do I pull apart the pieces? That's kind of like preaching on Sanctity of Life Sunday. Um, sanctity of life is a phrase that, that we like to, to use opposite of this, or maybe in conjunction sometimes with this phrase that is pro-life, and the two are very different. Pro-life is specifically about this, this topic and issue of abortion. Sanctity of life covers so much more. When we talk about the sanctity of life, we're talking about a biblical worldview about the attitude we have for life. And, and that is from, from uh, conception to the very grave. But really to do that, to have the understanding of what is the biblical worldview of life, of a human life, we're going to have to redefine some things. So right from the bat, we're going to redefine what victory is. So victory redefined is the first point in message today. Mm. Before we get too far into that, though, two quick things. First, um, I am really excited about the Omega Hour. We're going to cover the entire Old Testament today. <laughs> um, you're like, how do we do that? Well, obviously, I'm not studying the books, but I wanted just to, to uh, emphasize again, this class is going to be awesome. I love teaching. It's like my favorite thing to do. It's going to be a fun class. You're going to learn a ton. There is child care. So if you were thinking, okay, I got to go home, I got kids, there is child care available. Also, the second thing is, at the end of the message, when the kids are coming back, I'm going to have the kids come all the way up to the front because we're going to do another one of those giving moments, and yes, donuts are involved. And, by the way, any adults that I hit with a donut the last time we did this, you may want to come up as well, and that will be just fine. All right, so back to victory redefined. Um, let's look at this verse. This is Revelation 15, verse 2. John says, And I saw what appeared to be a glass of sea mingled, or a sea of glass, sorry, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. These are the ones who have conquered. But John sees them in a vision where they are with the Lord in heaven next to this sea of glass that seems to be on fire. They were victorious, but also clearly they died. Because that's how you get there. I don't know if you knew that, right? That's like the basic premise of this Christianity thing that we do. We, we talk about this life after death thing. That, that's sort of a key component. So they're victorious, but doesn't it seem like if you were going to be victorious in, in, this, in this model that we're looking at, in, in this idea that we've been wrestling with, wouldn't victory being to not die? I think that's the basic premise of, of where we start to, to misunderstand uh, the, the sanctity of life and the importance of life is, is not as though somehow a, a Christian's goal is to make it so that we don't 
perish in this world, that, that we don't even struggle in this world, that Christians, if we believe enough that our life here will be better and amazing or, or, or more true or more significant, and then like, it looks like we die, but we don't really die, you know? That's, that's not true. <laughs> that's, that's not how it works. You know, the, the greatest examples of Christian faith um, usually tend to be those who have struggled profoundly in life, who have dealt with persecution, people um, attacking them physically or emotionally and verbally because of their faith, things not going well, things going terribly. To conquer doesn't mean that we, we beat sin and that we beat all of the consequences of sin in this world or that somehow, somehow we, we remove ourselves from all of the pain and suffering of this world. That, that's not at all what it is. But what Revelation is, is clearly outlining is that there is this great battle that is going on. And, and there's these two teams that I've often talked about. We know, of course, there's, there's team God, angels, Jesus, all of that. Team Satan, fallen angels, and all of that. And it's, it's this battle that's, that's not tanks in the Ukraine. It's, it's, it is, this is not going to be, Revelation is not predicting World War III and what that's going to be like. It's talking about a spiritual war. And there are indeed two different teams. But those teams aren't fighting over whether you and I will die, unless Jesus comes back before that happens, we will all die. That is a given. Those teams are fighting over, ironically, the sanctity of humanity. They're fighting over us. So now we find ourselves, of course, on team life. That's the second point in the sermon. Let's talk about what team life really is. Team life, of course, isn't that Christians don't die. Rather, let's look really quick here at Psalm 49, 16 to 12. For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they call lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. Psalm 49. We're going to bounce a bit earlier in the Psalms in a, in a few minutes. Everybody dies, the, the wise and the foolish alike. Those who are wealthy, people who have streets or lands named after them, they perish, and really there's this attempt that we often have to leave our mark on this world, to have a legacy, right? To, to be remembered after we're long and gone. But the, the truth, reality is, what the psalmist is saying, that doesn't make any difference. You are actually gone. You do actually die. So, of, of course, the, the Christian goal isn't that we don't die, but rather that we redefine life a little bit and redefine death a little bit. Life is this incredible thing that, that we don't even understand truly, no matter how much we've, we've studied it, no matter how much we've looked at it, no matter how much we've, we've tried to, in biology and chemistry, anthropology, all of the, the scientific disciplines, as, as much as we've studied it, we don't know where it comes from, 
how, how things go from not alive to alive or from alive to dead. It remains mysterious. It remains strange. It remains in the realm that we can't quite see, the dimension that I've been talking about where God and his angels exist. Somewhere there is, is this power, this force that is spoken into existence that, that comes to us in a miraculous way. Uh, when a, when a, an infant is born, we look and we say, this is truly miraculous. And that life only comes from life. Never have any of us ever witnessed um, uh, those living today or those living you know, for thousands and thousands of years. No one has ever seen death produce life or something that is dead or inanimate give birth to something that is life. There's no way to take two inanimate chemicals or substances and, and mix them together in just the right uh, circumstances and environment in a petri dish or whatever, and things go from not alive to alive. And this is this is a, a lesson that um, we all sort of know. My wife and I got to experience this in a really cool way. Right? Frozen embryos. How cool is this? Frozen to the point of um, no animation. Obviously, <laughs> frozen, frozen, frozen. Right? If you don't know the story, we adopted embryos. Um, we like to be very open about this. It wasn't a matter of struggling to have children. Um, like I, I say oftentimes, I, I looked longingly at my wife and she got pregnant <laughs> every single time of the first three that we had. Um, so it was, there wasn't an issue there, but, but this thing was, was placed on our hearts, number one, because adoption was placed on our hearts. Why is adoption on our hearts? Well, the coolest people, the most amazing Christians we know, adoption's part of their story. There you go. <laughs> is that a really good reason to invest uh, our lives in other lives? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I can tell you it's been a huge blessing for us. And the, the second piece is, again, just kind of placed on our hearts a, a conviction of this for a long time. But also, man, when you read scriptures, you hear a lot about adoption, Paul writes about it in Ephesians and in a few of his other letters, describing that we as Gentiles, that'd be you and, you and I, are adopted into the kingdom of God. And, and this is, if, if you're unaware, don't, don't feel badly if you've ever done this, but when you talk about kids who are adopted, um, the, the best way to make a, a mom or a dad angry <laughs> is if you ask, oh, do you know who their real parents are? Yeah, I sure definitely know who Malachi, Ezekiel, and Evangeline's real parents are. Me, her. That's who's, who the real kids are, her real parents are. Uh, or do you have any of your own? Yes, we have six kids of our own. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the, in every way, they're our children. That's what adoption really is. Legally, 100% entitled to everything from, from uh, everything involved legally, inheritance, all of that stuff. Yes, they, they are our children, just like any other children are our children. Emotionally and morally, yes, physically, spiritually, all of those things, these are our children. And now apply that to, to the kingdom of God in you. It's not like God has real kids, but also you adopted kids. Does he have any kids of his own? Yes, you. <laughs> Legally, 
in that you were purchased and, and paid for in a manner that, that has a sense of, of jurisdiction to it. A judge proclaimed these adopted kids belong to God, right? And in, in every other way, emotionally, spiritually, being adopted in doesn't mean you are a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. In the same way, three of my kids are not second-class children in the Tim family, they're just our kids. And so when, when we're talking about team life, we're talking about this mysterious, uh, incredible thing that clearly we have a great deal of value for. Because we go to great lengths to make sure that everybody understands that, that this isn't a piece of property that is traded or a piece of property with a title and a deed turned over. Uh, when you sell a vehicle, you sign the title over to somebody else. That's not how adoption works. Even though there's a bit of that involved legally, that's not what makes a kid somebody else's kid in adoption. But back to where we, we were going with this with, with life, what is alive and what isn't alive, we, we have four frozen embryos, and we don't know because you can't measure. And so then you go to thaw the embryos and, and find out. And then can you imagine we had a real, real choice to make going into this. All four thaw and are alive and viable. Do you implant four embryos? That, that can be a little bit reckless, a little bit irresponsible. If, if none of them survive thaw, this was our one shot as far as having the resources and the funds, that was it. Or if three, do we refreeze one? Like the, the magic number was two. And we have, of course, no say in how this works, right? At, at the, the, the laboratory, the office, and they thaw all four embryos. Two are alive and two are not. And I ask the doctor, and you can ask anybody, what's the difference? Two are alive and two are not. Why? Well, I don't know. Same batch of embryos, same process, frozen all together. Well, how can you tell that these are alive and these aren't? Well, there's a lot of ways you can tell that cells are alive or cells are not alive. Well, can you make these unalive cells alive? No. Hmm. So there's no life that comes from death. Life only comes from life. Of course, you know the, the story, um, for those who are a little bit unfamiliar with it, therefore we transfer two embryos. Um, I have this great picture of the man who got my wife pregnant, which I think is hilarious to say out loud, <clears throat> um, up on social media for everybody to see. And those two, one of them splits, which what we were told was impossible to happen at this stage. We end up with three babies. What an incredible blessing from God. Now, back to life. Joni and I are on team life. So are you. But that doesn't mean that death is outside of, of the experience of those on team life. We experienced the, the death of two embryos. Those were adopted by us too. We've got Two, or maybe those would have split four, six, who knows? There are these other children that are part of our lives as well, but they, 
They reside with Jesus now. And I know there's, there's plenty of people who've experienced something like this where you're, you're weeping and mourning because life didn't continue. Whether that is in the womb or if that is, is much later in life for a 40-year-old, a 60-year-old. I heard a story this morning of, of a young girl years and years and years ago who died tragically in an accident at home. It, we look at those things and we say life is incredibly valuable. And so when we're on team life, what we're not doing is, is, is trying to say death isn't a part of that, but just to recognize how tragic it is and how not normal it is. And this is the, the biggest, in, in my opinion, the, the number one issue for team life to continue to do is let people know and understand that death isn't natural. Death isn't normal. Not that we get to avoid it, but because everybody experiences it, we, we start to believe that it's just a natural part of life. Death is a natural part of life. You've heard this thousands of times, but it isn't part of the design. It isn't part of God's design for Adam and Eve, but when they fall into sin, it becomes part of their reality. It's something that, that we all experience, but that doesn't mean it's normal. And it doesn't mean that it's right. I, I think there's a great debate to be had out there about capital punishment. Is it legal? Should states have it? I think it's a, I don't have a solid opinion on it, but I can tell you this. In the Constitution, it does say that punishment should not be cruel or unusual. Well, I don't think dying is usual. Nobody I know who's alive and walking around, is also dead. But that would be unusual, right? Dying happens to all of us. It's not something that usually happens to all of us. It always happens to all of us. There's that side of the argument. But it doesn't usually happen to me. It doesn't usually happen to you. Setting that debate aside, because that's not why we're here, to have these debates. And I'll tell you, I'm torn on that. We all understand the gravity of the situation, how we should think and, and have deep conversations and we should struggle with it because death isn't normal. It is unusual and it isn't natural. Which can just brings us back to the value of life. Now, I'll tell you, I've, I've been in those moments more than once with families in this congregation at the bedside of somebody terminally ill. And the, the question comes to me, Pastor, what should we do? Should we end life-saving measures for this person? That is a terrifying moment for a pastor. Number one, because I'm not a doctor. <laughs> um, I'm not truly an ethicist either. What I am is, is a person who understands that this person is valuable to you, and that's why it's hard to make this decision. This life has value. That's why you're struggling with this decision. And I always say, as long as this is a tough decision to make, your heart's in a good spot. As, as long as, as you are, are, are torn over what to do, 
I say, good, you recognize how valuable this life is. And I have counseled in different directions in those moments just to say, listen, I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you that, that you recognize how valuable this person is and how expensive life is. But then we have this opportunity as Christians to talk about how expensive life really is. The last point of the sermon. This is Revelation uh, 15, 7 to 8 from our reading this morning. One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. What does that have to do with how expensive life is? I hope you notice I changed my, my vocabulary a little bit right there from life is valuable to life is expensive. Because value is, is something that we can all say. Value is, is we, we understand what that is. But now let's put a dollar amount on it and see how expensive life really is. If there's somebody who's lost in the mountains in, in a remote place, how much money are we willing to spend to go and get them? That, that helicopter rescue team is going to cost tens of thousands, several tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. How much would a community say there is this person and they are there which is going to cost a lot to get to, to rescue, to then bring back and the medical treatment that is involved. I've never heard anybody ever say there is a number that we will go up to but no further than. I've never seen a search called off because it was getting too expensive. A, a boat lost off of the coast. This happened to uh, friends of, of our congregation, Shara, our missionary friend. Her father was on a boat that went missing in a storm. There was, there was never a, well, they've only got about $100,000 left of resources that the Coast Guard is willing to spend looking for this boat. The numbers were never placed because there's, there's no way in which we can say this is the number beyond this. We're just not willing to spend the time. There is a, a lack of hope where you say, well, they, they could not survive any longer in those conditions. So, so as much as, as it's not about the resources, we just know they're no longer alive. They, they didn't survive. Or maybe it is to go out in these conditions is, is treacherous for these other lives, and it's too risky that we would risk these lives to save those lives. Or if there are children who are, are trapped underground. Remember this one from several years ago in an underground cave issue? And, and there were some divers who died working to rescue them, but nobody ever said they're, they're spending too much money. Or the miners who were trapped underground, I think it was in Argentina, there, there's, it costs too much to get to them. We don't put a number. We know it's valuable, but how expensive is it? All right, let's look at our last text from Psalm 49. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he should live on forever and never see the pit. No man 
can ransom the life of another. Here's how expensive life is. I'll give you the answer to that question. More than you got. Life is, is too expensive for you. You don't have enough money to buy yourself out of death. Not enough money exists to buy you out of death. If all of the world pooled all of its resources, they could not buy you out of death. How much does life cost? Well, it's a number that is infinite. It's a number that is bigger than we can even understand. It's an amount that is, well, if it's never-ending, all-powerfully big, all of these things, that's a divine thing. How expensive is your life? It cost one Jesus. That's how much it costs. So we see life is valuable, but the expense, the expense that it costs for you to be on team life is the death of your, your God, your Lord and your Savior, Jesus, who pays the price for us. So understand, as, as we are on team life, we are not always trying to fight and avoid every instance of death or tragic death. And there are those times when, when we have to weigh out the death of this uh, one or the death of these many. Or we, there's, It's complicated. Team life does not mean that we are opposed to, to military action, police actions. It doesn't mean we're opposed to ending life-saving treatments that are, that are not truly extending life but just avoiding and preventing that that's not what being what being team life means it means that we always see death as a tragedy every single time we never say good that person is dead the closest we get is to say that person's death is is maybe better than the evil that would continue if they were alive but this is still sin, this is still bad, and this is still not part of God's plan. And when we see the, the full culmination of what God's plan is, when his son was sent to die, it was for all people. That all people, instead of tasting death that is forever and eternal, would experience death, but then be given eternal life. It is available for everybody. Nobody is, is outside of this. Not the tiny little child in the womb to the, the oldest person on their deathbed. God is team life, not because death and his wrath doesn't exist, but rather we can say God is team life because he took all of that wrath and he poured it out on his son instead of us. And his son imparts to us righteousness and forgiveness that though in this world we suffer and though we die and appear to be defeated by team death at our grave, we actually live forever with him. So I, I want you to have a, a maybe different attitude or understanding about life and sanctity of life and even what it means to be pro-life. 
That life is valuable and expensive. And it requires all of us to have this attitude because to, to demean it, to, to be desensitized to death, to, to view it as natural and normal is to be team death. To be team life is to just marvel at it, to rejoice in it, and to say, my God, how wonderful it is that you have granted to us the extension to life everlasting. Amen.